yes, I'm going to heaven, I'm a Catholic. I mean, obviously, right? The, the Catholic label means you're going to, I try to do good things. You know, it's, it's um, good morning, family. This is, it kind of gives us a chuckle, but um, this is not some like radical fringe outlying group of people that think this way. This is mainstream America. It really is. I mean, you go talk to people on the street and ask them if they're going to heaven. A conversation will usually go something like this. Do you believe in heaven? Yeah, I think so, right? Because about 80% of Americans believe there's a heaven, right? 50% believe there's a hell. I don't know where the discrepancy is, but the 30, well, set it aside, not the point, right? We all want to be optimistic about our futures. Um, you ask them, are you going to heaven? Yeah, I think so. It's an awfully big question to answer with, I think so, right? Why do you think you're going to heaven? Well... I'm a pretty good person. I mean, we've all heard it, right? Who's heard that from people? We've all heard it. I'm a pretty good person. I try to do what's right. Never, never mind trying to define what good and right even mean. We'll set that one aside this morning too, right? Because the Bible says there's not one that's good except the one. Um, but we see that this is all around us. In fact, I would imagine even in this room, we're a well-taught church, but even in this room, some of us probably have some of those thoughts and ideas and might be tempted to answer that way. I won't ask for a show of hands if anyone's ever responded or thought that way. I'm going to break the ice for you. I actually answered this question that way a while ago myself. And I'll tell you a story. I was, many of you know I grew up in this church. I've been going here since I was a little kid. And I I remember getting saved probably around the age of seven or eight, sitting in the back of my parents' car. And as much as a seven or eight-year-old can understand the gospel and put my faith in Jesus, I did. Right? I prayed and I've grown in my knowledge of God ever since then. And I, I grew up in this church all through, you know, elementary school and junior high and high school. I got involved in ministry and I was on the worship team. And, I mean, surely I had a solid understanding of the gospel, right? And uh, I remember finding myself, I was, in, I was probably college age. I don't think Teresa and I were married yet. And I was at the Brea Mall. We were shopping for Christmas gifts. And there were these Biola students going around the mall. And they might even still do this, I don't know. But they were going around the mall and they were asking people about the gospel, and they came up to us, right, and they were like, you know, are, are you, are you think you're going to heaven, and why, and I was like, I got this, right, this is so easy, yeah, I'm going to heaven, right, and, uh, and she's like, well, why, why would, why would God, like, if you go to heaven, you see God, and God says, why should I let you in, what is your answer, and these are the words that came out of my mouth, well, you know, I try to follow God, I try to serve him with my life, you know, I go to church, I've been raised in the church, you know, I, 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 uh, I try to love people, and, and this was college age me, right? This was the me that's been saved since I was a little kid. And this is what flew, the words that flowed out of my mouth. And, and this gracious Biola student, this gal, I'll never forget, she, she, pretty, um, she graciously reminded me how notably absent Jesus was from my response, right? And it was one of those moments for me where it was like, ah, uh, like, like I knew that. I knew the answer. Can I go back and like re-answer? Because I knew the answer, and my head, knew the, my head knew the answer. My heart didn't, I hadn't internalized what the gospel meant yet. I didn't, my heart didn't know the answer. And I think sometimes we can all get into that place, especially those of us that, are, that have responded to the gospel and we've been saved. We can drift back into this place where our heart forgets, forgets what the gospel is. It's, it's like, it, up here I know it. I could fill out the blanks on a piece of paper, but do I really get the gospel? Does my heart really understand what the gospel is? And as I was praying and preparing this morning, the Lord put on my heart, it was time for a gospel reminder for us. 
because many of us have been walking with the Lord for many years. Maybe some of you haven't. Maybe some of you don't even know what the gospel is. You haven't responded to it. You'll have a chance this morning. You will. But, see, we need to, what happens over time, for those of us who are Christians, which presumably is most of you, our thinking patterns, they can get off course. Our behaviors, they can, our heart attitudes, they can get misaligned with the gospel. And we take for granted the gospel. And we just wake up every day. You know, do you wake up every day just in awe of the miracle of the gospel? I don't. I'm not asking that because I do. I don't. Many mornings I wake up and I fully take for granted the miracle of a God who would send his son to earth to take my place on a cross so that I could go be with him forever. I don't wake up every day and meditate on that and fall on my knees in, in thanks and in praise. Why? Am I somehow past the miracle? Are we somehow past the miracle of the gospel because we've been saved? Is that, is that elementary for us? And we just said, it. I don't think so. I think we constantly have to come back to the simplicity and the power and the truth of the gospel. It's the foundation of our salvation. And we're, I, wanna, I feel like God wants us to be reminded of that this morning, and we're going to revisit the gospel. I'm going to preach the gospel. And we're going to see, we're not just going to talk about the gospel, we're going to talk about what it means for us and how it applies to our lives. Because the reality is, and I'm, I, this is not an overstatement, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the gospel solves every problem that ever needed to be solved. Every single one. See? So, pray with me for a moment. Let's open our hearts to the word of God. And let's believe for transformation this morning, okay? Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son, Jesus. And as we dive into your words this morning, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Transform us and change us by the power of your word and the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 15 says this. Now, 1 Corinthians was written by a guy named Paul, right? And many of you know Paul. Paul understood the gospel probably better than anybody, right? He, he had firsthand experience with a transformation in his heart because of the gospel. And what's funny when you talk about the gospel is we have the gospels in the Bible, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so you would think, well, if I want to learn about what the gospel means, I should just read the gospels. Yes, you should. That's a good, good part of the Bible to read. What's interesting, though, is if you really want to get an understanding of the gospel, read Paul's letters. See, because the way that God has pieced together this book, the Bible, it has everything it needs, right? Not too much and not too little. And we really get an understanding of the gospel when we read Paul's letters because Paul, who had an encounter with Jesus when he was Saul, came to, God gave him such insight and understanding into what the gospel means. He, in fact, took it to the entire Gentile world, which is us, unless you're of Jewish descent, I suppose, right? But... He took the gospel to the entire Gentile world, which is now the Christian church. And so a lot of the scriptures we're looking at today are written by Paul, because Paul got it. And I think Paul and God through Paul wanted us to get it too. Okay? So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 says this. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to scriptures. He was buried, and he rose again the third day, according to scriptures. This is the gospel, plain and simple. Christ came to earth, died for our sins, was buried, and rose again the third day. And that's what Paul has to say about the gospel. But I want you to catch this. Catch this with me. There's a very important phrase in here. Which also you are saved if you, what? What does he say? Hold fast. 
if you hold fast. Can I ask you a question? Are you holding fast to the gospel? Was the gospel for you some set it and forget it thing that happened one morning in church when you said a prayer and you responded and then gospel done, ready to move on? Because that's not a biblical view of the gospel at all. In fact, what Paul is saying is this gospel in which you stand by which you are saved, if you hold fast, unless you believed in vain. In other words, if we're not holding fast, that belief in the first place comes into question, right? There's an absolute standing and holding fast to the gospel that has to happen for us every single day. We're hopeless without the gospel, you guys. We can't take it for granted. And Paul is saying, this is the word I preached to you, and you received it, and you responded, but you need to hold fast to it. Because it's what you stand on. Never forget the foundation that we stand on. We can get distracted by so many secondary issues, can't we? But the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things, and the gospel is the mainest and the plainest that it gets. That was a tongue twister. I'm glad I did that. We hold fast to it. There's a standing firm. There's a holding fast. And this morning, we need to be reminded about the power of the gospel. We need to bring our hearts and minds back into alignment where maybe we've kind of gone sideways, right? And we're going to do that this morning. And I want to I jump into the outline here if you're following along with me because I want to explain to you that some thinking patterns and some heart attitudes that I believe God wants to confront in us today. And, and I really sense this as I was preparing that, that a lot of us in this room are going to relate and, and um, identify with a lot of these. And God's going to speak this morning. He really is. He does every time we get together. But he is this morning too. So here we go. Here's what the gospel reminds us of. When I am prideful, the gospel reminds me that Jesus did everything. Okay? Everything. Just in case you were unclear and you thought there was some kind of percentage split between what we did and what Jesus did, there isn't, okay? The percentage split is 100 to 0 if you need the numbers. Jesus did everything. I'm going to say amen to myself. Amen. We got to get this. Young people especially, I won't ask you to raise your hand if you're young. Actually, young people, also old people, also anyone of any age, get this, okay? <laughs> the sooner we get this, the better. There was not a thing you could have done to save yourself. Not a single thing. And we need to get that. There was not a single thing you could do to save yourself. And God knew that. God knew that. And when I'm prideful, the gospel reminds me it was all about Jesus. Nobody else. Ephesians 2.8 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not works, lest anyone should boast. Just imagine if we were able to save ourselves, how obnoxious we would all be, running around, talking about how great we are, because I saved myself with all my prayers and all my works and all my stuff. No, God had this design that was like, I'm not going to let anybody boast about anything. I'm going to accomplish it through my son. No leg to stand on without Jesus, Right? And this is the thing. Pride is probably the biggest thing that keeps people from God. Whether you're saved or not, pride, we think about unsaved people, right, and what keeps them from God. I think this is the number one thing. As much as I would, we would like to say it's about intellectual barriers or lack of evidence for the existence of God or whatever you want to say, there's certainly a place for apologetics. At the end of the day, you could check every box, prove every point, and someone's pride will still keep them from coming to God. Because you know what? It's a pride issue. It's a heart issue. The gospel is at the same time the most encouraging and the most humbling news you could ever receive. You know why? You know what the gospel says? I am not a good person. 
And I look around this room, and there's a lot of wonderful people, and I love this church. You are not good people. <laughs> I say that with respect and sincerity, and it's not my word. Actually, the Bible. The Bible says it, not me. The Bible says there's no one that's good. Not one. Not one. It's a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? I'm not a good person. Not even close. I mean, some of us are maybe better than others. <laughs> like, my wife's a way better person than me, but we're both still bad people when the bar that God has set is up here, right? Pride's a dangerous thing. It leads to destructive thinking patterns in our lives. There's a couple of really dangerous things pride leads to. Number one, it can lead to a performance mentality. I won't ask for a show of hands, but I know some of you struggle with this, the need to please, the need to do, right? If I can just do enough things, I'll be right with God. If I can just do enough things, God's going to be pleased. If I could just do enough things, if I could give enough to the poor, go to, the, go to church enough, read my Bible enough, if I could pray enough, if I could just do these things, I'll feel right with God. No, you won't. No, you won't. That's pride. See, it seems like a humble, genuine heart that wants to please God. You know what it is, in fact? It's pride operating very subtly in your heart. To think you could ever do anything on your own. See the pride in that? And it can lead us to this performance mentality. It's not Jesus and anything. It's Jesus, period. That's it. That's it. And it's not, it's not bad to, to strive to do good works and please the Father. But the thing is, the striving comes from a security because we're already saved, not in some effort to attain some standing with God. There's a big difference. There's a big, big difference. We should all do good things. It doesn't matter how many good things we do. It does not affect our salvation one bit. It was all what Jesus did. You see? And so we can get into this performance mentality that's so dangerous, and the gospel leaves no room for any of that. In fact, it calls our righteousness filthy rags. In Galatians 2, Paul says this, verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. This is a big game changer, right? This, this challenged people's mentality about what it was to be, to be right with God. Remember, the entire Old Testament was based on laws and commandments and rules and all these things that people were supposed to follow. In fact, God gave them this big list of ten, and they couldn't even really do that. They couldn't even do the first one, actually. And they weren't kind of in priority order, maybe, if you want to think of it that way. I'm the Lord your God, worship no one else. Nope, done. Couldn't even do that one. And we might get in this mindset where it's like, I can obey all the commands. I can do it. And then Jesus comes along in the New Testament and says, no, you can't, actually. Because it was never about your actions. It was always about your heart and your faith. And not a single one of us can maintain a pure heart all the time. The standard is impossible, you guys. Except for Jesus, right? And so we know that we're not justified by works of the law. In fact, the law never existed to justify anybody. Paul says that clearly. The law existed to show people that they would need a Messiah who would come in the person of Jesus Christ. That's, what the, that's why the law was there in the first place. And so we have the good news of Jesus who actually perfectly fulfilled every part of the law for us, Right? This is what Romans 3.23 says. It says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace. 
through redemption in Christ Jesus. Can you say all have sinned? All. Everybody. Everybody has sinned. We can't let pride cloud our vision on this because the second thing pride leads us to, pride leads some of us to a really judgmental, cynical, Pharisee type of attitude. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's, it's very easy when pride operates in my life to go, man, so glad I'm saved, but those other people, not a chance for them. Right? There's no way. There's no way. God can't, no. I mean, I was special. God saved me, but not these other wretched sinners. I, it's funny, but, and we may, maybe are not that blatant about it, but certainly in our attitudes towards people, sometimes we think exactly that way. Don't we? I'm not the only one. I can't be. We're all in this together. Pride leads to this kind of attitude. And we read the Bible, we, we finished a series about King David, right? We ended on a pretty low note last week. Adultery, murder, right, manipulation, all that. And I want you to get the heart of God about how redemptive his purposes are. God, this is one example. God knowing David and every single thing he would do, right? Everything he would do. God didn't look down and see him in bed with Bathsheba and was somehow shocked, right? He knew everything that was going to happen. And God, knowing all that, still made a covenant with this man, right? Knowing he was going to murder and commit adultery and lie, made a covenant with this man that said, there's going to be a king on the throne of Israel for eternity, and it's going to come through your bloodline. He chose the bloodline of an adultering murderer for, the, for his son to bear that name. Can you just get your head around that for a second? That should give all of us some hope, right? The redemptive power of that. You know why? Because that's the heart of God. Everyone's a sinner. Everyone can experience his redemption. And we cannot forget for a moment that Jesus can save anybody. I'll say that again. Jesus, an encounter with Jesus can save anybody, can change anybody. There's no one outside the reach of God's arm. Right? We read these stories about David and another one about Saul, right? On the road to Damascus. Saul was a, a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, I think he calls himself. And he was, they were laying their coats at his feet, the Jews were, while they were persecuting and killing Christians. Right? And it took one trip on one road to Damascus for Jesus to go, no, you're not doing that anymore. Right? 180. And now this guy writes half the New Testament. I can get on board with that. That's amazing. But <laughs> some of us still can't get on board with the fact that, like, I don't know, maybe Jesus could also save Kanye West. No, that one's too hard, right? That's too, I mean, Saul, I can see. Not Kanye. Not Justin Bieber. I mean, those guys are surely not. Let's talk about this for a minute. There's, you know, we pray for revival, right? And we think we know what revival is going to look like. And certainly the church is part of God's revival. But, I mean, look, if you would have told me six months ago that my family and I were going to be bumping a Kanye West album on a Sunday morning on the way to church about some song about Chick-fil-A, I would have been like, what are you even saying, right? <laughs> some of you maybe don't know what I'm talking about. Kanye West has gone on record pretty publicly that he's a follower of Jesus Christ. He even released an album called Jesus is King. That's the name of the album. I've listened to it many times. It's pretty doctrinally sound, actually, <laughs> okay? Um, I'm not a big Kanye West fan. That's not the point. I'm a big Jesus fan, though. I'm a big Jesus follower. And uh, when I see guys that are exalting the name of Jesus, it tells me two things. One, I'm pretty sure that's the Holy Spirit in them. Because the Holy Spirit, the sign of his activity is when people glorify Jesus. 
I don't think they're doing it on their own for selfish gain. They don't need to like corner the evangelical market. They're doing pretty well, these guys, right? So, so all I can think of is, man, God's working in their hearts. And I can, sure, I could be cynical. I can go, no, that's just not going to be. I can sit around and wait for one of these guys to mess up, and they will, right? We'll read a, we'll read a headline that somebody messed up, and we're going to get split into two groups. The group of us that's going to go, I knew it. I knew they weren't saved. And the group of us that's going to go pray because this guy's trying to follow Christ and he's getting tripped up and he's doing it with the whole world watching him, right? So how dare we get prideful or cynical when someone's trying to follow Christ? That's not our role. Pray for them. You know, that's a faithless attitude, isn't it? I pray for these guys. I saw videos of Justin Bieber leading worship at these church services. Look, I know these guys have done stuff in their past that's a mess. So have all of we. I was glad no one was standing around just waiting for me to fail to go, I knew it. I knew you couldn't follow Christ. No, I had people that lifted me up and prayed for me and supported me. I'm not saying you got to be a fan of these guys. But when we see what appears to be the signs of Jesus' name being lifted up, we got to get on board with that, you guys. (laughs) Right? I mean, maybe that's what revival looks like. Maybe it's pop culture icons all of a sudden serving Jesus, right? So this is what the gospel reminds me of. I'm not above anybody, and God can save anybody. (laughs) Jesus can save anyone, right? Anyone. No one's too far. He is, after all, the God who leaves the 99 to go after the one. He did it for a lot of you in this room, right? And so the gospel leaves no room, you guys, for pride, for self-righteousness, for judgment, for performance mentality, because Jesus did all of it for us. And salvation is for everybody. God so loved the world, right, that whoever believes in him would not perish. We gotta remember that. We gotta remember that. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me, right? I was, once was lost and now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Here's the next point. When I feel guilty, the gospel reminds me that I'm forgiven. Right? When I feel guilty, guilt is a powerful feeling, but it is such a deception because Jesus broke the chains of guilt. Romans 8.1, many of you know it. There is therefore now no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, when you got saved and the Spirit of God came to live in you and you were walking with his Spirit, you were out from under the guilt and condemnation you were under. It says there is no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. And so maybe it's not pride that some of us struggle with, but maybe it's guilt. Maybe some of us, I imagine some of us probably wake up every day and struggle with this, with guilt, with shame, with these feelings of inadequacy, because how could God possibly love me? How he can do it is through his son, Jesus. And the enemy will use guilt, in, the enemy of your soul will use guilt in your life to drive you away from God. But the lover of your soul would say, there's no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Some of you need to hear that this morning because some of you, we read that scripture and it says, God, we're not under the condemnation of God, but you know what? You're still under the condemnation, condemnation of yourself. You're self-condemning every day. You're condemning what God has already chosen not to condemn. You won't forgive yourself for the things that God's already forgiven you for. And it's a vicious cycle. And the message, the reminder of the gospel to you this morning is when you feel guilty, the gospel says you are forgiven. You're set free from the bondage of guilt. 
and condemnation. You're justified with God and you're forgiven for all your sins. In fact, because of Jesus, and we, this is a fine line to walk because Paul talks about taking advantage of the grace of God, but I've known God many years and his grace never ran out on me yet. And neither is his forgiveness. And, and when we sin, we have this mechanism that's a beautiful thing because of what Jesus did. And it says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You'll never sin too much to stop confessing and repenting to God. He doesn't have a quota. He doesn't run out. And I say that because, because guilt also leads to some dangerous patterns for us. You know what it can lead to? Distancing yourself from God, right? When I feel guilty, I, I don't want to go to God. I can't go to God. And that's the one place you need to go is to God. We don't distance ourselves when we mess up. We come and we confess our sins and he is faithful and he's just to forgive you. In fact, Hebrews tells it, says it this way. It says, come draw near to God with a pure heart, with full assurance of faith, with confidence. With confidence. Picture this, we don't even have to come to God in some timid way. We come humbly, but we come boldly, the Bible says, before his throne. Why? Because of Jesus. Because the gospel says we have access to his presence now because of what Jesus did. So we don't distance ourselves. And some of you may be in that pattern this morning. And this gospel reminder for you is you don't distance yourself from God. If you've fallen off the horse, if you've been in this pattern of sin, you confess your sin, you repent, you get up and you move forward with the Lord. Okay? And this is, this is another thing that guilt can lead to. It can lead to bondage to your past. Bondage to the past. I know, I know a, lot of, a lot of us struggle with that. Our past, some of us have some ugly, ugly stuff in our past, Right? But we remember the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away, and all things have become new. Hmm. I like that. I'm not perfect, but something has fundamentally shifted in my makeup when I came to Christ. In fact, the Bible says that he became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. So we put on, the Bible says we put on Christ. You know what that means? It's a strong imagery. It means that when God looks at you, he sees his son. Think about that. He doesn't see all the garbage of your past and all that stuff. He sees Jesus in you because you became the righteousness of God through Christ. That's amazing, isn't it? And some of you need to be freed from the shackles and the bondage of what's happened in the past this morning. You need to let it go. I was going to do a frozen joke. I'm not going to. <laughs> a great theologian once put it this way. You got to put your behind in your past. That was Pumba from The Lion King. <laughs> you got to put your past behind you. We will never serve God as fully as we can if we're going this way and looking this way the whole time. Right? And he's, he's already made a way for us to shed all that baggage. It happened through Christ, and we need to walk in it, okay? So if that's you this morning, and we're gonna have some time to respond at the end, take your guilt to God. You're not condemned. Don't condemn yourself. Let him wash it away. The power of the gospel. And here's the third one. When I feel afraid, the gospel reminds me that I am secure. 
I am secure. You know, every fear comes out of some kind of insecurity, doesn't it? And but the gospel, what the gospel shouts loudly and clearly is you are secure in God. Look at what John says in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my hand. I want you to picture this, this, this hand of God, right? And we're just in the palm. You just picture that? You're in the palm of God's hand, and it's not a shaky palm, and he's not going to drop you, and no one can come grab you. You're just sitting. If you're someone this morning and you're struggling with fears and anxieties and insecurities, just, just picture this image right now that the hand of God is stretched out and he's holding you. He's holding you. No one can snatch you. See, the gospel tells us that we don't have to be afraid because Jesus secured it all. And I know that many of us, it's a big problem even in the church, that many of us struggle with fears and anxieties. And, th- and, and by the way, I'm going to take a side note to acknowledge something. Because um, I think the church is getting better at this, and I think we will continue to get better at this. But um, there are certainly spiritual elements to fears and anxieties. And there are certainly mental health issues that are very real. Psychological issues, psychi- psychiatric issues, right? Physiological stuff. And, and I'm not cer- downplaying any of that. And certainly I don't think the Bible does either. Real issues that need to be dealt with. But I think the thing is this. Many times for many of us, we have to go deeper than just some of those issues because there's an unrest in our soul that hasn't come into alignment with the security of the gospel for some of us. And so we get tossed to and fro and stuff comes up and we're, so, we're not centered, right? And we're, we're distracted and we're afraid and our soul needs to come into alignment with the security that is found in Christ. And that might be you this morning. You might just feel tossed about. I mean, Certainly living here doesn't make it any easier, does it? We're running around frantically all the time, just getting wrapped around the axle on stuff. Um, and just, just the holidays are coming up, right? Holidays, one of the most stressful times of the year for most of us, right? Or for some of us, I should say, right? And we're running around and we're, we're upset and we're anxious and we're hustling and bustling and there's this, this rest that's supposed to come with the gospel. See, what happens is out of security comes rest, There's a, there's a picture in the Old Testament of this thing called the Sabbath, right? Everyone knows what the Sabbath is. There was one day a week. No one was supposed to work. Everyone was just supposed to rest, right? And it was made for man to benefit man. But what it also was was a picture of a rest that was to come when Jesus would come. And what happened when Jesus came is we don't have to wait till Sunday to rest. We get to rest every day. It's called the Sabbath rest. Hebrews talks about it. And when we enter into this relationship with Christ, take a deep breath with me real quick. Can we do that? There's an abiding rest. Right? We've entered into this abiding rest with Christ. If that doesn't describe your life, maybe there's a misalignment you have this morning with the message of the gospel because the gospel says you're secured and there's nothing to fear. Right? Because Christ... Did, even the fear of death has been broken in what Jesus did, right? He has secured your eternal soul. Let me ask you a question. Jesus has secured your eternal soul, if you're a Christian, and your destiny, right? What else can he not secure then? Can he not secure your finances? Can he not secure your health? 
your family, your relationships? No, I think he can secure all of that. I think in the gospel, he's already made a way to do all that. But we struggle with fear. In fact, fear is, I would say fear may be the biggest thing that keeps us from doing things we want to do. Some of us have so many grand visions, right, and plans and things we would do if we could just get over the fear of it. But doesn't fear hold us back, right? Fear holds us back, it paralyzes us. God wants to break that this morning if that's the way we're operating. See, fear leads us to inaction. And 1 John 4.18 says this. It says there's no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So there is no fear in love. Um, I would say it this way. Love is a stronger force than fear. Love is a stronger force than fear. And I think this, this verse is interesting. I, I see two sides to this coin. Um, one is this. There ought to be a security in knowing that there's a perfect God who loves you perfectly. Right? We saw you saying about the good, good father. There's a perfect God in heaven who has no deficiencies, and his love for you has no deficiencies either. He loves you perfectly. There's tremendous security in that. In fact, if it wasn't for that, if it wasn't for the gospel and the fact that I could know that there's a security and love of Christ, we should all be running around freaking out, anxious, and scared all the time. Because what else is there? But we don't, right? Because we know there's a loving Father whose love is perfect, and he secures us. It's our anchor. And so his perfect love gives us security. But here's the other side to this coin, is that I also have my love for God, right? And some of you have heard this in deeper. We talk about this a little bit, but not just God's love for me, my love for him. And as my love is, for God is perfected in my heart, right, as I grow to love him more, you know what happens to my fear? It gets displaced by love, right? This is why it's so important to cultivate your heart for God because if there's anything I want to fill my heart with, it's love for God, right? And as I fill my heart with love for God, all the other stuff that shouldn't be there, it starts moving out. I want, to give you, I want to give you this illustration that I like to use. Imagine that you're with your loved one, okay, and, and you're crossing the street, and there's a car just barreling down the street, right, going to hit your, pretend it's your child, going to hit your child. And you're with your kid, and you see this car coming, and you've got about a split second to react. I would venture most of you would do whatever it took to get your kid out of harm's way, even if it meant you're going to get hit by this, by this car, right, get run over, Right? In that moment, you didn't think about it. You didn't think if you were afraid. You didn't consider the options. I let my kid get hit. Do I get hit, right? <laughs> you just did. You just acted out in love, right? It was a thoughtless love, if I could put it that way. The love, your love was so strong, you just acted. Think about this. Consequently, that's what God did in his son, didn't he? He didn't give a second thought. It's not that he was thoughtless, but he didn't give a second thought to what he was going to do. Way back in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, he already revealed the fact that he had a plan that one day his son was going to come. It wasn't like he was debating and had this idea he had to work through and figure out. He operated purely in love. And that's a model for us. And as my love for Christ grows stronger and it displaces fear, I will build up a courage to do things that I used to be afraid of. See, I believe every one of us can come to the place where our love for Christ so far outweighs our fear that we'll do anything he asks us to. We're not there yet. I'm not there yet. I don't know if any of you are. If you are, come up here and you should preach. 
But we're certainly all getting there. That's the point. We should be getting, our love for God should be being made perfect day by day so that fear is displaced and I can go and do whatever God wants me to. Whether it's flying across the world to be a missionary or finally getting the courage to speak up at work to someone who needs to hear the gospel or at school or just witnessing to a stranger that you see. Whatever it is, imagine you could operate without any fear. What a thought that is. You can, actually. That's the point. Jesus made a way. And the reminder for us this morning is the gospel and the love of Christ secures us, and love displaces fear in our hearts the more we understand it. Look back at this list as we have a couple minutes left. Pride, guilt, fear. I'm so glad I got to uplift your hearts today with this stuff. Actually, the word of God has, because the point is this. In Jesus, the gospel has an answer for all these. Everything. It deals with every single, and, and more. And there's more things we struggle with. But the gospel has, has responded. right? And we respond to the gospel in this. And so these three things are big issues we face, but, but we come this morning uh, and we remind ourselves the simplicity, the power, the truth of the gospel. And many of us have been saved many, many years, but maybe there's things this morning that God's speaking to you. You know what? That, the way you're thinking there, that needs to come back into alignment. Or you've been doing this, and it's time to do this. And, and the gospel is a foundation we come back to to correct our thinking, right? The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? As we close, I'm just going to have the worship team, invite the worship team to come up. And I just want to take a moment this morning for us to respond to this. So as they're getting set up, would you just um, bow your heads with me in prayer? Let's just take a moment. Let's just take a moment here. I just want to ask you a couple questions. I know there's, in a room this size, there's so many different people, right, going through so many different things, and I just want to I want to take time for us to respond. And, and if you want to do that genuinely this morning, I want to give opportunity. A couple groups of people I want to talk to with every head bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning, maybe you've been a Christian. Right? Maybe you've responded to the gospel at some point. And, and maybe you feel like, you know what, I'm not holding fast to it. Or I've, I've really been struggling with some of these things you're talking about. And, and I sense the Lord speaking to my heart. And I want to change something. I want to change a thought, a thinking pattern. Or I want to change an attitude. Or I want to change something. If that's you this morning and you fall into that boat, um, I think there's power in responding to that. So if that's you, just slip your hand up. Every eye's closed, every head's bowed. Just slip your hand up and say, yeah, I would respond to that. Okay, a lot of hands going up. Yeah, I would respond to that. Amen. Amen. Yeah, just slip your hand up. Just say, I want to respond to the gospel this morning. I want to respond to, to what the Lord's speaking to me. And we do, God. We respond right now. We, our hearts, we open them to you. And we ask you to transform in this moment. You know, miracles can happen right now in this moment. You guys know that, right? Right now as we seek God, bondage can be, can be broken, chains can be broken, weights can be lifted right now. In fact, God wants to do it right now. I hope you know that. So Lord, we respond to you. Lord, break, break the shackles of guilt this morning in Jesus' name. 
Lord, break the bondage of fear in our hearts in Jesus' name. Humble us, God, if we have pride in our hearts right now in the name of Jesus. Cause us to be filled with the Spirit of God. Thank you, Lord. I want to ask one more question this morning. If you're here, I just want to give you opportunity. Maybe you've not heard the gospel before. Maybe you have and you've not responded. And it's so simple. It's so simple. You were a sinner. I was a sinner. We needed a Savior, and God sent his son, Christ, Jesus Christ, to die. And he, was, he died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. And through that, we have forgiveness and eternal life if we put our faith in him. It's that simple. You know, I say if something sounds too good to be true, it usually is. I agree with that, but that's not the case here. <laughs> the gospel is the best news you've ever heard. And so if you want to respond to that this morning, again, with every head bowed and eye closed, because I don't want to embarrass anybody, I just want you to look at me and slip your hand up, because I want to pray with you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but if you want to respond to the gospel of Jesus and put your faith in him, just raise your hand right now. Amen. 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 Anyone else? Slip it up high so I can see you. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. I don't want to miss anybody. God bless you. God bless you. I see your hands. God bless you. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. You can put your hands down. Thank you, Jesus. Church, there are many people responding to the gospel of Jesus this morning. And heaven's rejoicing in that. And so we're going to pray with them. Those of you that raised your hands, we're going to say a prayer. We're all going to say it together. And you're going to become a Christian today. You're going to experience the miracle of salvation by putting your faith in Jesus. Let's pray, guys. Say, Dear God, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And Jesus, I believe you came to this earth, you died for my sins, you were buried, and you rose again. And Jesus, I thank you that you've forgiven all my sins. I choose to put my faith in you and to follow you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys that did that. It's awesome. I want to just, if you raised your hand, I just want to extend this to you. If you, I'll be at this table after service. If you want to come over, I'd love to pray with you, give you a Bible and some materials and get you started on your walk with God, get you connected. So if you want to do that, I encourage you. Um, we're going to wrap up with some response and worship, and then I'll come up and dismiss, and we'll do that. But can we just, can we just take a moment to worship the Lord and respond this morning and have the worship team lead us?
Well, Jesus, we thank you. We thank you, God, that we cannot add to, take away, replace, remove anything you've done. Jesus, it's all about you, and we are grateful, and we worship you this morning, and we thank you. It's all you, Jesus. You are enough. You believe that? Amen. Amen. Let's give him praise one last time. Amen. God bless you, church. Hey, listen, we'll see you Wednesday night for Thanksgiving service, 7 p.m., okay? God bless you. Take care.